This is Clive Torin, Helix News, reporting from Paradiso front lines at FOB Sandsmark. Morat forces are swarming O-12 positions and appear set to overrun defensive perimeter. Order defense. Listeners, and welcome to another episode of the Coordinated Orders Podcast. I'm Christoph. I'm John. And here we are joined today on another episode for a little bit more about the introductory to Infinity. Uh, those of you who listened to the first episode, we talked about the sort of profile of the game, how the sort of statistics work, and how you might interpret those so that you can better understand the battlefield and the troopers on it. Uh, this time around, uh, we've got a few different points to talk about uh, weaponry, as well as battlefield roles, and a few different other points as well. So with that, we'll just jump right in. Range bands are probably one of the bigger concepts when you look at shooting in Infinity. You've got troopers that might have an extremely short-range weapon, like a shotgun, that's very effective up close, but extremely diminished you know, in that mid to long range. And then you've got something that's archetypical, like a sniper rifle, which isn't super effective up close because it's hard to bring to bear, but you can range in on stuff with high accuracy uh, at long range. And so the uh, bonuses to shoot for that weapon are reflected in its sort of uh, ranged stat line. And so when we look at the range bands in Infinity, they're kind of broken out into these different segments, usually in eight inch chunks or uh, demarcations. Uh, Zero to eight is sort of your close range. 8 to 16 is sort of like your mid-range weapons. And then you've got sort of more longer-range weapons, which are usually out to 24, 32, and then further to that, 48. John, give me uh, your hot takes on sort of the range weapons and how they kind of function. When when I take a look at, uh, say, page 14 of the rulebook, if you guys have it, if not, again, like you guys can download it off of the Corvus Belly Infinity website. Uh, Page 14 has a great picture of a combi rifle, and their their range modifiers uh, from zero to sixteen we have plus three sixteen to thirty two is minus three and thirty two to forty eight is minus six and then there's damage thirteen and burst three which we'll get into eventually but just talking about range modifiers uh, you'll hear a lot of people say like you want that sweet spot for range um, and that kind of gets into you know you, you want that plus three you want that plus six especially when it's taking on something with negative modifiers. So it's really important to take a look at the the range of, the, of your weapon. And again, like this is a combat rifle. This is probably the most common weapon that you'll see in the game. But there's other weapons out there. There's like the HMG, uh, sniper rifle. Those are two very popular weapons. My favorite is probably the Spitfire. It's a little bit longer range weapon, um, but it's really effective. So... You you really have to be aware of what your what your figure has for a weapon, and uh, it's extremely important when you're facing off somebody with a different range, you know, because you could have them end up with maybe plus six on their side and minus three on your side, and you know the the range modifiers really stack up against you quickly. 
Yeah, exactly. And so a lot of the um, kind of asymmetry of the game Infinity can be very likened to games like XCOM, where you want to engage people on angles that negate their cover, maximize your effective range for the weapon, giving you bonuses to hit on your die roll of the D20, and uh, you know also mitigating your opponent's effectiveness to hit you back. A primary example of that, as uh, John pointed out, with the Spitfire. It's an iconic weapon where an HMG or heavy machine gun is very long-range and has you know, heavy hitting power. The uh, Spitfire is sort of a more cut-down version, a uh, squad support uh, LMG. You know, like it's a light machine gun, heavier than your standard you know, field sidearm or firearm, but very effective for you know the purposes of mid-range firefights. How that actually plays out in the game is that you can engage uh, targets further out like a 24 inch range band means that from eight inches to 30 or to 24 you get plus three to hit uh, which is that really money shot because you can hit people that are using shorter range weapon like a combi or combi rifle for you know further uh, explanation and and you can get them at a negative sort of hit modifier and then you will be scalping them out much more easily and that's the kind of methodology that you'll find in games like XCOM as well, if you've played the PC game. But having that kind of thinking as you approach using your different models to force mathematically superior exchanges. You've got your likelihood of hitting at, you know, say, 15 or 16 on uh, on a D20 or less. And then your opponent might be on a 9 or an 8 or something like that. So it's, it's much more likely that you'll have that sort of successful exchange and potentially eliminate the enemy combatant. Yeah, and I think it's a, <clears throat> a great um, aspect of the game where, you know, somebody with a pistol, they're going to have a pretty hard time shooting a sniper rifle from across the table. Yeah, yeah, and that's pretty realistic as well, which is one of the kind of nice buy-ins to Infinity is that you've got uh, a semblance of realism and a sort of hard sci-fi. Uh, there's no space magic per se, um, you know, aside from theoretically hacking, if you want to call that space magic. But when it comes to the the gunnery of the game, it does reflect, rather than in some games that have an arbitrary kind of stopping point for weaponry, um, that weapon in this game would have a very long range, just diminishing uh, hitting power or accuracy. And so that's kind of nice because you're always feeling like your your guns are effective. You know, you're, you're playing in a, a more apt simulation of warfare. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, I, I don't know how many times I've said that I want to cast a spell when I'm talking about my hacker. <laughs> Terrible. <laughs> yeah, totally. I mean, a lot of other uh, war gamers will come to Infinity and see some of those pieces like, you know, hacking. And, and it, there is a, a sort of, I think, similarity to to magic, but where it actually kind of enacts is the, the info war is, is a much more... I would say situational tool than magic might be in other games. Uh, it is extremely strong though, but more on the topic of, of weaponry. So <clears throat> you talked about uh, the HMG or the Spitfire being some of your special places in your heart for weaponry. Mine is probably like the marksman rifle mm -hmm. or the Ojotnik. And those are two weapons that uh, you'll see on certain types of profiles in the game that are usually what I would call like a, a designated marksman. They're not a sniper, but they are going to be people who are pushing up the table. Maybe they're a specialist, which we'll talk about in a bit. They can accomplish objectives, but they have a weapon that is reasonably effective at a long range, much longer than so your basic firearm. 
and they have maybe a special feature to them as well, some extra sauce. And that's really kind of the neat part is that there are many different types of guns in the world. And, you know, in the setting, that is also true. So you've got things like a stair aug in real life that happen to be used extensively by special forces, which is a semi-automatic three-round burst, uh, high-hitting power, accurate out to a long distance. It's not you know, a fully automatic machine gun, but it doesn't need to be to get the job done. So in, in that sense, having stuff like a, uh, a marksman rifle, it's accurate up to 24 inches. It gets that plus three band. And then it also will sometimes have uh, specialized ammunition. Uh, or on troopers that have, say, extra training. So they're really good at getting a headshot, and that gives them shock, which really cranks up the lethality of your weapon because it's it's basically causing that model, when it's hit, to just outright die as opposed to just go to unconscious caveat supply. But stuff like that where you know, you've got weaponry that really will appeal to you after experiencing the game for some time, whereas people love missile launchers i don't tend to get a huge amount of value out of them no me neither actually is it's great when they hit however getting them to hit like as as uh, christoph was saying there is that burst three on your active turn for example for the commie rifle so for hmg or spitfire it's three but for missile launcher you're sh- you're you get one dice whether it's your active turn or reactive turn so you you have to really hope that those that the dice gods are in your favor. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that brings up another point which we could probably elaborate on is that when you are facing off against various different models in the game, burst value, like the number of dice that you roll, is one of the most key facets to uh, winning those face to face exchanges. Uh, when you are rolling, you know, uh, an HMG and there are four dice from that from that gun, you're spitting out just a huge amount of bullets, and there's going to be likely a lot that stick. Conversely, your opponent in reactive turn will have one bullet typically, one burst shooting back. And so the math is heavily in your favor when you use dice uh, advantage. So the the bigger gunnery, uh, oftentimes the more likelihood you'll have that sort of successful result and then slap that, that model to the unconscious state or otherwise and move on. So having an idea as to what kind of force you want to build with the weaponry that you're putting on the table is, is key having stuff like flamethrowers, which are a template weapon. They don't need to roll the hit. They just put a template down. It's roughly 10 inches long by a couple inches wide at its, uh, at its apex. Those are, uh, those are very effective weapons because you don't have to be good at gunnery. You don't have to shoot and roll dice. You just roll up and like put the template down and light a dude on fire. They're very consistent and they force people to make hard choices. You know, do I do I shoot back at that guy or do I dodge the flamethrower? So those are other weaponry categories that I think are important to kind of think about when you're building your lists, when you're assessing models, and when you're learning the game, is that you have kind of the standard stock combi rifle, which is your sort of run-of-the-mill M16 type of machine gun analog. You've got your high-burst weaponry that can be used for taking out priority targets much more reliably, And then you've got more surgical tools, shall we say, that are things like the sniper rifle, uh, rocket launcher, missile launcher, that are less burst, but when they hit, they are much more lethal. Absolutely. They can be absolutely, for example, a a missile launcher, because they actually use the the Pi template. So if they hit, they hit everybody underneath that template. And I know it's a little bit different than other games, but even if a 
tad of the bases underneath that template, that character is hit. So it could easily hit three, four, five guys if they're all bunched together trying to hide from the reactive player's turn, or the active player's turn, rather, uh, and just they all get annihilated. So you really have to be careful about uh, those kind of weapons coming at you. Yeah, so you've got sort of a couple of broad classifications of weapons as you go into list building and learning Infinity. Primarily, basic gunnery, like combi rifles, rifles. You've got shotguns, which are also kind of basic gunnery with a little bit of sauce. You know, they can they can spew out area effect templates. There's still something that I would classify as a, a basic weapon, but a short-range one with some special uses. Then you've got your heavier and mid-range uh, assault firepower, like your Spitfire, your HMG, and maybe something like the uh, Hyper Rapid Magnetic Cannon, which is a Gatling railgun for anybody who's interested in sci-fi. That is right up your alley. Highly effective. It rolls five dice when it attacks. So it's uh, it's going to put things down. And then you've got more specialized tools like we talked about with the missile launcher, the sniper rifle, and other kind of weird categories that might stick out of the sort of run-of-the-mill weaponry, like, say, a Panzerfaust, which is a disposable weapon that has a limited amount of ammunition, but its uh, specific effect is anti-armor. It's it's basically an anti-tank weapon that you can just splatter coat somebody with. And there's also and then, blue guns. Yeah, yeah, I was just going to say. So you you have uh, an affinity for glue guns. Uh, I've I've used them a few times. They're, they're pretty handy. Um, I, I'm a fan when they actually work because they need, need they need the, an engineer to come and unglue them. So if you set up correctly, you glue somebody down, and then they have to bring out their engineer, and you manage to shoot them on the way. That that. 50 point model is glued to the ground and these becomes useless yeah. essentially. Yeah. So you've got that kind of unusual way of engaging your opponents where you don't necessarily have to kill them to neutralize them. There are a few different tools in the shed for infinity that stick in this category and they're special because they don't always rely on killing to get the job done. Glue uh, or adhesive as it were is very strong because it, it actually resolves not against their armor, primary weapons usually would, but uh, their physique and, and essentially the simulation that you're, you're running there is you get hit with a giant wad of high velocity super glue and it expands and you have to be quick and strong to kind of break out of that before it kind of crystallizes around you and you're stuck in this like embarrassing glob of foamy glue. Kind of reminds me of uh, Demolition Man, if anybody's seen that and he gets in the car accident and the car fills up with foam. Yeah. Or Spider-Man. Okay, I mean, yeah. the, the sort of the archetypical uh, Spider-Man just like globbing a, a criminal like in place. So he's just like waiting there for the cops to get him. That's you know, a perfect analogy as well. You've got other weapons as well, which are similar in function to an adhesive launcher. Stuff like a, a, a Acrylite Canone, which is just a much longer range, almost like sniper glue gun. So it fires like a, uh, a long range canister warhead that impact or uh, explodes with glue before impact and covers like people like a you know, in, in the same kind of compound as the adhesive launcher, but it's much more long range effective. And then you got stuff like an emitter, which is a long range uh, electromagnetic interference gun that you can turn people's uh, armor systems or their tactical armor gears off or, or like isolate them from their communications grid so that they are 
largely going to be ineffective. Again, you don't have to kill the model, but by hitting them with this kind of weaponry, it is extremely effective at, at dealing a crippling blow to a technologically advanced or valuable trooper. And uh, another great weapon that does something similar is the jammer. Now, you don't even need to see your opponent for that to happen. They just need to be in your zone of control, which is uh, an area of eight inches out from your, your figure. So you can just imagine how devastating that can be. They don't get to shoot you, but they walk up and they just get put into isolation. Mm-hmm. And speaking of zone of control, there's another kind of interesting weapon that comes up every once in a while, deep, near and dear to my heart as a, as a Japanese sectorial army player. Ninjas and certain other model in the game will have something called a tactical bow. And if you've ever seen Rambo, it is perhaps a slightly less glorious version of that. You know, you've got like a, a poison tipped or warhead tipped arrow and it's armed basically just to take out light targets primarily, but it's silent. So if you miss your target, they don't uh, get an arrow as a response. So there's certain weapons in the game that will have this silent feature, which really can kind of allow you to stealthily sneak up on people and not give yourself away from behind. Yeah, there are some really interesting tactics out there for all sorts of the... Uh, there's there's just so many weapons out there, and yeah, you can devise tactics for all of them, or a good portion of them. Like, it's, it's just don't let it overwhelm you. Um, like <laughs> because of the sheer amount of weapons, there are only about, I'd say less than 20 actual, uh, distance modifier charts for them. So mm-hmm. like a rifle is the same as a, another weapon. All the pistols are the same. It's a little bit frustrating that the red fury, which people just think is a less powerful, uh, spit fire with shock. It actually has a different range band. So you have to be careful. I didn't know that, actually. I don't use the Red Fury all that often, but it's, again, very similar to a squad support weapon, mm-hmm. uh, like a LMG. So there's a lot of analogs to sort of real-world weapons that you would find on the battlefield with maybe just a little extra sauce. Yeah, and it's usually a little bit cheaper than what a, a Spitfire would cost. True. Yeah, that is definitely its advantage. So one thing to talk about, I guess, with those uh, with those weapons that we talked about is there are going to be not just a like a, a base cost in points for these uh, weapon systems, like a Spitfire will very frequently cost 1.5 SWC. Uh, conversely, something like a grenade launcher, which fires template weapons downrange at reasonable accuracy and distance, that's usually like one SWC. So it's powerful and it's kind of measured out in both its extra cost for points to a model, but also SWC. Yeah, and usually you might be able to see, say, like a sniper rifle on your run-of-the-mill soldier uh, that might cost about 0.5 SWC when that same weapon in the hands of somebody who can wield it better, hence a higher ballistic skill, might be 1 or 1.5. So Mm -hmm. that is also taking into consideration when you see these SWC costs. Yeah, so like a a very highly qualified trooper with great ballistic skill and maybe some camouflage uh, skill or or like... um, optical disruptor device, which is a, an equipment, which basically causes like a mirror image kind of to appear of you. Very hard to shoot your back. It, it basically gives you what we would colloquially refer to as mod stacking. It's when you have negative modifiers for your opponent to hit you, which means that the fire exchange is much more likely to succeed in your favor. Being that I play Neo Terra and I have lots of TO camo models, 
this is very frequently going to be how I like to engage is I, I take a big weapon like an HMG on my uh, elite heavy infantry trooper, Swiss Guard, and uh, he's at minus six to shoot him. He's also got great armor, has this big HMG, so he pays two SWC for it as opposed to some you know mook down the road with basic training. He's going to pay one SWC for his HMG. Right. Um, and it's interesting that you see that. Like I, <laughs> it's that's a, also a very interesting tactic. I prefer to use um, figures that can get closer to the enemy uh, and mm-hmm. try to outrange them that way. Um, yeah. For example, if there's a sniper or an HMG on the opponent's side, I'll try to sneak over and put him in his bad range, so which is close up. And I'll be in mm-hmm. my good range, same with a commie rifle or a boarding shotgun or something, which is plus six in the zero to eight range band, uh, mm-hmm. and and do it that way. So it's, it's interesting mm-hmm. that you know there's a couple of different strategies here, but with doing the same thing. Yeah, it, it always comes down to much like with XCOM, we'll make lots of reference to that game because if you haven't played that game, it's a really good training course for learning Infinity. I that game. The <laughs> The similarities are very close. I I, I haven't played it. Oh man, it's it's great. If you're an if you're an Infinity enthusiast or you want to learn the game, the core concepts of sticking to cover and exposing your your enemies outside of cover, getting those good range bands and fire exchanges, suppression fire. There's there's lots of mechanics in that that are just absolutely perfect for getting in the mindset of playing tabletop Infinity. So that's, you know, as a point to reference back, you know, many times that we talk about it, it's available on Steam. It's a great game. You should check it out. It will help you learn Infinity very quickly. And we are not endorsed Um, in any way by XCOM, just FYI. (laughs) No, we are not. (laughs) But I am an enthusiast of that. Uh, So anyways, talking about after the weapon profiles and kind of their their relative uses, we also have battlefield roles, or or rather, what what is a good weapon and when to use it? There are occasions where, like like John mentioned, you've got your sniper or, let's say, your shotgun, and you can get up the table and around a corner to expose people and, and have a bit more of an advantageous firefight without necessarily committing something overly expensive or elite. You can, you can make a, a cheaper troop get heavy work done just by being asymmetrical or, or, or angular in your attack factor. Conversely, when I play Neoterra, whilst I can do that, and I have the orders to commit to it, very frequently because I have such high ballistic skill and and other sort of factors like armor and you know mod stacking like my TO camo, I can just push up straight up the table and just fight people face to face and kill them. Other factions, other models won't always be able to do that, so you have to get a little creative with how you engage. Yeah, absolutely. Um... <laughs> This game is so rife with strategy. Uh, And like, that's why we're doing these podcasts is because there's just so much of it. And it's definitely overwhelming for a new player. There's just so much like just going through one profile for a a model type with maybe three, four or five different profiles. Each one of them is a different kind of tool that you can use in a different situation. For example, like there are some, with the infiltration rule, for example, or for deployment level two or mechanized deployment, they all are mm-hmm. different 
takes on the same kind of rule. Basically, there's the halfway point of the board that you play on, which is four by four. So it's up to two inch or two feet and mechanized deployment, uh, infiltration. They can let you go up to that two foot uh, line. So what, where do you go from there? Like you can have, say you have a, a camouflage character, which allows you to either be a camouflage marker, um, some, if it's TO camouflage, then it's a step above that. And you don't even have to put them on the board. You just sort of take a picture or draw like a little picture saying, this is where my guy is. So when your opponent mm-hmm. moves in his active turn or what have you, you can spring out of nowhere and shoot them or whatever. And then during oh, yeah. your turn, if there's somebody who's giving you a problem, and this is what I was going on to say with the shorter range guys, but if you have say mm-hmm. a Farzan with a boarding shotgun, you can do two things. If he's a forward observer, you can go in and plant him kind of close to uh, the objective and go and try to do that. Or you can go on and maybe there's a guy in suppression who's being a real pain and you, you can't really bring up one of your other characters until he's taken care of. You can have that those negative, mm-hmm. well, positive range band for you, hopefully negative for him and try to take him out. So there are, there's just so many tactics and that's, and that's one of the great ones, I think for this game. Like I, I don't know how far we want to get into strategy in this, uh, this podcast, but there's, there's just so much, it's so much fun. Yeah, absolutely. That's, that's a good segue into our next section. Talking about uh, the, the weapon roles and the right fit, it helps to define these battlefield roles as they exist, because oftentimes you'll have like a trooper, which has a points cost, a skill set. And you think, okay, well, how do I put that into my list? Or, you know, that model looks cool. I want to build an army with some of those dudes. And very frequently, you know, in other game systems, you'll have, uh, say, a space marine. And a space marine is well armored, strong, tough, has a decent gun. They're kind of the benchmark standard to which other people in, say, Warhammer 40,000 are measured. There are many different strategy games, some of which are more apt in their kind of granular simulation of wargaming. Uh, I find Infinity to be very on the nose for military simulation, as close as one could probably get as far as the abstraction of tabletop gaming. When we look at battlefield rules, you know, some of those archetypes do stick out. Uh, And so having a really square idea as to, in Infinity, what do those troopers look like and how do you use them effectively, their weaponry notwithstanding, as that's something that will come up as you kind of experiment with them. Some troopers might have a shotgun, which is immediately identifiable as a uh, short-range piece, aggressive. You can't go into things like suppressive fire because it doesn't have the highest rate of fire. So those are tools that you need to be cognizant of. The first one we want to talk about, because it's probably the one that you'll encounter first in demo games uh, as you get used to the the game system, is the basic trooper. John, basic troopers. (laughs) Well, there's every faction has one, and some factions have multiple. Like uh, we're looking at you nomads. There's there's so many basic troops in that that army. Like I I don't get it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they're they're so important because generally the line troops are probably the cheapest. They're what mm-hmm. some people call cheerleaders, as we talked. Um, well, I don't think we actually have talked about it yet. But uh, for orders and whatnot, you get a you know your three hundred points. 
you want to put in some cool stuff. You know, you want your your big guys, you want your infiltrators, you want guys who show up on their side of the board. And there's guys that, that can do that. So that's a lot of points. So it's nice to have some of those figures that are just your basic troops. So they can kind of sit behind your line, watching out for those people who are, might try to end up on your side of the board. Uh, they might there's there's pretty much a hacker in every one of those basic line troop profiles. There's snipers. There's HMGs. They're they're all good. They're all viable. It's just do you want to spend the SWC on some of the special ones? Maybe, maybe not. If you have an extra 0.5 SWC and 20 points that you need to waste or need to put in there somewhere, and you don't really know what to do, you can throw a sniper in uh, and put him in a nice spot where if he's if somebody comes around a certain corner, you get a shot at him hopefully in a long, long range. So you have the plus and he has the negative, uh, put him in cover. So there's, there's really the line troops there. There's, there's nothing they can't do, although they don't really do anything really well. Yeah. They're often derided by some because they lack the specialized utility of other troops. But one of the most redeeming things about infinity and about its basic troopers is that they are good and they can do a huge amount of work. You know, it's a military simulation. Every trooper that's on the table is typically pretty good quality. They've gone through their rigorous training and battlefield experiences. Some are more modest in their skill sets, but still highly capable. So you've got a dude with an automatic assault weapon. Uh, typically, he's got a pistol and then he's got a knife, you know, for when it gets dirty. And this basic trooper is going to help you run your army by generating that order and, and, other times, uh, maybe going into suppressive fire and locking down an important fire lane or quadrant of the table, denying your enemy easy access to objectives and otherwise. So the, the multi-kind of role that you'll see with uh, basic troopers is that whilst they aren't the star of the show, they can rise They can rise to the occasion in a really dramatic way. You know, sometimes you'll have in a moment where that basic dude from, you know, backwater, wherever, uh, a grunt from Ariadna, and he's just minding his own business and some crazy speculo killer from the alien empire of you know, combined army shows up and tries to boarding shotgun. And the basic trooper says, well, you know what? Today's not my day to die. Uh, I, I pistol you in the face and, and critically hit you. And you, you can get lucky like that, but you don't necessarily need to critically hit. It's that they have a very useful function in the game. And it is not just for defense and for generating orders. It's, Sometimes it's all you have left or it's what you have in the right spot to take advantage of the situation uh, when it's most pressing. Yeah, and pretty much all of them have one, two, three uh, specialist options. And if you need those specialists to complete certain objectives when you're looking at ITS, tournament system, games, and whatnot. So having those specialists you know, you might have a, a guy in the middle of the board who you're really relying on and he dies. So instead of being um, left high and dry, you might have that specialist forward observer still in your, your deployment zone. It might take you a few orders, but mm -hmm. it, if it means winning the game, why not? Right? Like it, it costs one more for say a forward observer profile compared to a basic guy without the forward observer profile mm -hmm. so if you have that one extra point why not yeah might win the game yeah yeah and that's a good segue actually into our next category battlefield roles 
are myriad. And this is not exhaustive. Uh, it's probably subjective because I think that many people will see that there are others or that the terminology might be used otherwise. Uh, for the purposes of our you know, discussion, these are to be loosely applied to the game uh, and, and help you kind of learn the basics. The next piece here is the specialist. Uh, it's one of those key features of Infinity in that it's not just a game about killing your opponent. In fact, in many cases where I've focused on killing my opponent, I've lost the game. Uh, particularly so in a competitive setting when you're playing like a tournament, because the game is so focused on getting objectives, and that final score will reflect your ability to get the mission done. Because it's not a game about killing and then somehow accomplishing the mission. It's about your Black Ops team going in and getting shit done and then getting out, preferably alive. And so the specialists represent those key trained individuals those special force operatives that are able to get into the mission, hack a console, rescue a high-value target, tag a piece of equipment for artillery detonation, and so on. Those specialists are, I think, one of the most flavorsome and important aspects of learning and playing the game in Infinity. So walk us through the specialists, uh, John. Oh, well, there's pretty much all the specialists have a function that they can use in the game. For example, a paramedic is a specialist. A forward observer is a specialist. A hacker is a specialist. Uh, and I'm sure I'm missing. Mm-hmm. Well, there's there's the doctor, there's the engineer, uh, and they're mm-hmm. chain of command, yeah, exactly. In some cases. So having mm-hmm. these uh, figures being specialists, uh, it back in the day, it used to be just you killed your opponent um, nobody ever took specialists. Why bother? You didn't really need them in a lot of cases. Uh, but then the dynamic changed and they created these scenarios where only specialists can, uh, complete objectives, whether it's go to a console in the middle of the board and get some information out of it or hack a door or something like that. But you need these specialists in order to complete objectives. Um, and that's, that's how you win. And mm-hmm. and a note, mm-hmm. a note if I made just there. So the reason why they've done that in the game design isn't just for fluff reasons. Like, I mean, the fluff reason is simply that a, a special forces soldier has so much training, but they have a privileged amount of knowledge that they can give out from military intelligence to a certain few individuals that can be trusted and are competent, not just on the battlefield, but on an intellectual level. So specialists represent your uh, excellent soldiers, but those that are also distinguished uh, in their education, they might have access to information about the enemy operation that other soldiers simply don't have the clearance for. So that's why specialists are kind of emphasized in this: is that it's on a need-to-know basis, and certain key soldiers will need to go. know. I did not know that. Yeah. Um, but yes, like you, you do need these uh, specialists, and again, like they each perform a different sort of uh, active role. Because the specialist is kind of like a secondary role, whether primary role is whether it's a hacking character, you you do you hack, right? Like forward observers, they have a flash pulse. There's certain things they can do. Um, paramedic, they can they're not as good as doctors, which is also a specialist, but they can bring people back who are unconscious. Engineers, they're mm-hmm. like a doctor, but for your REMs or tags. Um, so they, they all perform, they're all vital to your team, but they're also vital to winning the game. Mm-hmm. What's your favorite specialist, John? Uh, 
Well, yeah. <laughs> I, I had a game uh, where I had the Sujuan, which is the transforming cat in Eugene. Uh, oh, yes, it, 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 it was glorious. And I just, I felt bad, but uh, it was on no wounding cat. Cat came back. I mm-hmm. used my engineer, healed him back up to full wounds. He goes out, he actually comes back again, and I heal him back up. So my opponent spent so many <laughs> orders trying to kill this thing, and it just wouldn't die. Yeah, like it soaked wow. up a good turn and a half, I think, of orders from people trying to kill it. It was great, and it just annihilated them. So <laughs> I felt bad, but it was it was you know, a great example of what a doctor or an engineer can do for you. Yeah. Sustaining your your troops in the field. If they get wounded, bring them back up, but also to hit those key buttons and accomplish those missions that will allow you to win the game. Yeah. My favorite's probably the auxilia from, uh, Pano, uh, faction Neoterra. So the auxilia is uh, actually a pretty basic dude. He would be close to your basic trooper in training and skill set, but he has some, uh, perhaps more peculiar skill sets that it run uh, around the maintenance and, uh, and familiarity with drones. And so he has a combat drone that kind of follows him around that has a heavy flamethrower. And so this guy's a Ford observer, so he can tag enemy troopers for, you know, artillery and guided weapons, like a, a missile launcher type of thing. Uh, but he can also accomplish a, a myriad of different important objectives. He's cheap, he's effective, and he can force really bad trades with people because he can just come around the corner with his little remote buddy and people have to choose between getting shot or getting flamethrowered because they can't really do anything about both except maybe dodging so they they have a very unique battlefield role in that as a specialist for observer i get to do a multitude of different things with him including pushing buttons and winning objectives well i think as probably new players will eventually find out that pano was actually a mistake so one of the one of my favorite uh specialists is the most factions have the same rems they're they're almost all identical there might be a little bit difference here and there but my favorite is the deactivator repeater uh forward observer sat lock sensor combi rifle rifle sniffer drone like these these things have so much going for them and the forward observers for about 16 points Mm -hmm. So they can go out if there's a camouflage yeah. token there. Centrum, oh, he's discovered now, right? Like it's they're they're so good. Yeah, that uh, that Ford Observer profile John is mentioning is available in almost every faction uh, except Ariadna because boohoo, they didn't keep up with the technology. But they are exemplary, and I think almost everybody who's like at a at a very high level of of uh, competitive play will agree that like they those Ford Observer yeah, remotes are mine. Pretty much every game I play. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, after specialists, a, a brief note on snipers. Uh, snipers come in all different shapes and sizes. Some are heavier in armor and you know skill set. Others are maybe camouflage troopers that can surprise people and jump out and attack them from an unforeseen quarter. But their their general rule is going to be like a, a long distance scalpel. And I will talk about scalpels a little later, but they have a slightly different role to scalpels and that like a sniper can also be a very key defensive piece in the tournament that I just played in recently in Vancouver. There was a gentleman who was uh, playing Shazvasti, which is sort of basically destruct nine space prawns. And uh, they have a lot of camouflage 
And the, the list this guy brought had three thermo-optic camouflage Noctifer missile launchers. And so they come out when you do not want them to, and they will hit you from across the table at obscene advantages, and, uh, and they will blow you up. And so whilst it's not a sniper rifle, it's similar in role in that there are models in the game that will wait for you to slip up and make a mistake. And they will pop out from typically downtown and tell you all about it. And that's a very effective way of kind of forcing your opponent to uh, then second guess their next move, particularly if you're able to kind of deke them out. If you've got a position where maybe you've got, say, like a Spetsnaz, which is a, a Russian Ariadne trooper that actually deploys not one, but two camo tokens, and he's an elite sniper. So he will force people to make hard choices about whether or not they can move forward with their attack plan and their objective grab because that sniper is potentially there and it will blow them up. And so it's not just an attack piece, but one that has a very effective combat role in dissuading your opponent from doing things without Yeah, and I think that's uh, a topic that we'll get into eventually. Again, with the strategy, there's so much, so many different strategies out there where it's, you know, that... Mm -hmm strong ARO presence. If you have a strong ARO presence, you're going to win in my opinion, because if you can mm -hmm. get, if you can kill most of your opponent's army and when it's not even your turn, like that's, that's just mm. so good. Yeah. But yeah, those kinds of snipers are great. Most factions can take uh, major Luna, which is I've taken her a few times and one of my favorite tactics is sitting behind a bush and using, what is it, uh, Marksmanship Level X L or LX or whatever, which allows you one shot, but you're plus six uh, with it. So shooting through. A mm -hmm. And yeah, you cover. Yeah, it, it, it's great. Uh, and I believe it's, isn't it shock as well or no? Uh, I, I can't remember if it's shock, but it's usually equipped to models. Like with Major Luna, she has shock kind of baked into her right. weapon because it's a viral sniper. So like, Oh, yeah, absolutely. And again, like that goes in the strategy because if you're hiding behind a bush, even in your reactive turn, you're still sniping. And if there's an enemy sniper coming at you, he's only going to be firing one because a bush would be saturation zones. And again, we'll get into all this eventually as well. Um, but mm -hmm. that's more of a terrain battlefield presence thing. But like, absolutely, the strategy is sound in kind of keep in keeping with that that sort of idea of. Sunday, uh, attacking where your army is, or where your enemy is weak and defending uh, where your army is strong, uh, where the enemy uh, opponent uh, is, is strong. So that's, you know, the sniper helps you project a huge presence down a fire lane or a table quarter by just making the, the exchange of, of fire unlikely to be successful with them because the, the range ban on a sniper rifle is huge, like out to the end of the table and back. Conversely, you know, most weapons in the game can't compete at that range, so they have to close distance to get that sniper in a in a range that they can actually have a favorable exchange. So if you can keep them far back, then you are golden. Yeah, and for that's what I was going to say as well. And that's again getting into the strategy where you don't want to put your sniper in the where you can see the whole board because you're just going to get killed that way. Um, but if you have mm -hmm. looking down an, uh, an alleyway where you can see maybe really close to the other side of the board and way back close to your table edge. Um, he's, it's, he's going to be really hard to uh, 
work around for your opponent. He'll, your opponent will be spending orders trying to deal with him, whether it's throwing smoke or trying to shoot him or spending orders to get to your side of the table to take him out. Mm-hmm. Now, snipers have some natural predators, and we'll talk about those in a couple minutes because they're it's not like a rock, paper, scissors sort of thing going on, but it's like every every tool in the shed has something that can counter that tool in the right hands. Uh, and that's a really nice thing to be able to do in the game is that you're never going to be totally boned. Uh, you can get angles and you can take risks, but there are also very specific tools to solve the problem of a long-range ARO sniper, you know, defensive thing that's going to be controlling the table like that. One of them, in my opinion, is a tank or a bruiser. Tanks, bruisers are typically going to be like multi-wound, tough things. They might be a tag, like a tactical armored gear, sort of like Gundam thing. They might be heavy infantry with some kind of shooting modifier on them, like Mimetism or ODD. Uh, Probably the biggest and best advantage of tank or bruiser, in my opinion, is Achilles. He's probably the alpha apex predator in this classification of what you know, what you would see on the table for infinity. He's deadly accurate. He's tough. He's hard to hit and he's fast. So he can close distance with a sniper and end that sniper's life. Miserably. I agree. Um, If you're a player getting into the game who goes by the whole rule of cool, like, Ooh, what, what army looks cool. These are going to be the guys that you look at and be like, wow, these guys are beautiful. You know, for example, nomads have, I think some of the nicest, like the best looking bruisers tanks in the game. Uh, and we're, yeah, like we're mm-hmm, talking absolutely. about just two wounds or two wounds plus no wound in cap, sometimes even three wounds. Mm-hmm. They're just, they're so great. They're very powerful. They're hard to take out, but you're paying for them in a lot of cases as well. For the good ones, yeah, you're looking at probably between 50 to 70 points. There are a few, which might be a little bit less. Like Hackersland does have lower cost versions of them. I think like the Azure, what is it? There's one that's about 41 points, uh, two wounds, beautiful model, does its job, but doesn't have all the toys that some of them might have, like the Swiss Guard or uh, Hack Tau, which has T.O. Camel. Uh, and probably better BS. And mm-hmm. I think there's like 14, 14, 14 down the way for BS, uh, physical and uh, whip. So, you know, you are paying for some of these abilities, but they're they're so hard to take out, especially, you know, again, like with the TO camel wands or with memetism uh, and they do their job well. They have the big guns in most cases, like your AP HMGs or your multi HMGs, things that will maybe cut down your opponent's armor in half, for example, like the AP, which is mm-hmm. armor piercing weapon or armor piercing ammo. They might have the missile launchers, or, which we've discussed, or heavy rocket launchers, which give you the pie-sized uh, template, but it's not as powerful. It doesn't have the explode uh, ammunition either, which causes uh, a figure, once they're hit, to roll three times on their armor, which is just insane. Um, mm-hmm. so yeah, the, the, these, these are probably going to be the ones that you want, especially for new players. They want them just because they look so, so damn cool. Yeah. To quote Gavin Bateman from the uh, most recent episode of the white noise podcast, which is great. If you haven't listened to it, when you have a hammer, all you see are nails. 
And this is really true of something like Achilles or a Krija Borax or a Swiss Guard with an HMG. You can use a tank or a bruiser and you can push them up the table confident that they will exchange favorably in most cases. In the active turn, your likelihood of being successful and just chopping through opposition is quite high with them. There are risks, you know, having high armor and a couple of wounds won't save you from, you know, well-placed defensive positions and well-placed defensive tech, uh, which we talk about a little bit more when we get to uh, specialists or uh, to scalpels and uh, and support. But uh, be that as it may, you've got a couple of kind of iconic pieces and, and also brilliant models in this category that tend to really be uh, eye-catching. You know, it might be that big Gundam mecha thing, the, the tag that we're talking about. Uh, it might be Achilles for the uh, Greek sort of uh, sectorial from Aleph, or it might be my personal favorite, you know, the uh, the Swiss Guard, which is uh, a very surprising heavy infantry piece that people uh, <laughs> will not like to see. <laughs> uh, also stuff like the Krija Borax or the Hassassin Ayar. These are models that have tricks and tech that can really force uh, asymmetrical firefights that end in their advantage. Agreed. There are a lot of, again, like there's, there's just so much strategy in this game and a lot of these figures mm-hmm. who, uh, who are tanks. Now there's one that I play in hack slam, which I don't know if I would call him a tank. He has three armor, three BTS. They're great. I just, it's been a while since I played hack. So I've, uh, the Janzaban, there we go. Um, Yep. Yeah, they're, oh, man, they're the medium infantry, so they're four-two movement. Um, they're not they're not line infantry, but they're they may not be heavy infantry, but they, they're still they have the armor, they have the big gun, uh, and they have multiple spectral visor level two. And one of my favorite tactics with the hack is because there's so much smoke, you throw a smoke grenade, and he can see through it. So if you do have that pesky sniper that you just can't get rid of, who hopefully doesn't have MSV two, so he can see through your smoke. So you can shoot him and try to take him out mm-hmm. without too much. Like you have those those negative modifiers that we discussed before stacking up for you. Yeah. And, and that's actually bridging to our next topic as well, which is convenient because there are a lot of models in the game, like tanks and bruisers, that are pretty premium in points. They pay the premium not only for their skills and their, their durability and, and, uh, and what have you, but also because they are multi-wound. Models like the Janzaban are what I would refer to as sort of like your your elite infantry, your medium infantry, and they frequently will be you know ranging in around twenty to thirty, maybe forty points. They usually have one wound. They are slightly slower because they're not wearing power assisted servo armor like the heavy armor guys, and as a result, they have some interesting and distinct advantages. One of those is a plethora of unique battlefield roles that kind of cross into different categories with, say, snipers, supports, scalpels, or otherwise. But these elite infantry all share similar categories. Uh, That being, they are wearing, typically, heavier ballistic vests and armor, which can slow them down. So instead of a 4-4 movement, they're 4-2. Additionally, they also have better ballistic skill and general outlook on their sort of skill sets. In the case of the Janzaban, He's probably one of the premier medium infantry, in my in my opinion, because he's got the multispectral visor, allowing him to see not only through smoke, but also the uh, uh, hit modifiers of other uh, models. Say my Swiss Guard, for example. He just doesn't care about my cool technology. He's just going to see right through that like the Predator with the with Predator goggles from you know that movie. 
He's also going to see through smoke and otherwise, uh, but he has a very key piece of uh, equipment or skill that allows him to get back up after he's been shot and knocked unconscious. And that's called regeneration. So when we look at sort of these elite infantry, they'll have a couple of skills for flavor that really turn the dial up to 11 on an otherwise mediocre platform and really make you think, hmm, I want to put that in my list because that answers a tough question or it poses a tough question. Yeah, to there point. are. And again, like when we discussed range bands, there's tons of range bands, there's tons of weapons out there, just like there's tons of special equipments uh, or skills. Uh, and these are skills or examples of what we can see out there. There's some that uh, if there is somebody up on a roof who's giving you a hard time, there are some characters you can, what's called super jump. So you can jump up, be on the same level, be able to shoot them, and then you just go back down without taking any fall damage. Um, or you just jump up on the ledge as well. Uh, there are some where you can just climb up and still be able to shoot, So, which is a super climb. Or, sorry, um, what is it called? <laughs> Climbing plus, there we go. Uh, Climbing I mean, plus or super jump? But right? I like super I don't know When can we be. get super climb? Confirm. Spider-Man. Um, <laughs> double your movement for climbing? Can we have that? Um, <laughs> can ninjas have that? Because that's they actually... They should. They should. Um, they should and have there's, there's yeah. rules coming out all the time. Like there's a, a book coming out soon, Dayless Falls, and that's going to have more rules. So, and more skills and stuff like that. Like we just got, uh, for example, Fatality which is a, a, a wonderful little rule. Uh, and there's some characters who that who have that. So it gives you plus one damage to your weapons. Uh, if you have level two, you crit on a one as well as the number that you're supposed to crit on. So you have, yeah, it's just, there's, oh there's so many little intricacies in this game um, that can give you an advantage against your opponent. You just have to... I just want to go on the record and say that I love uh, Lethality Level 2, and I think that most models in, in, in Shazvasti should have that. Which one is that? Uh, so that, that'd be great. <laughs> Lethality Level 2. Just no. hand that out like candy to Shazvasti, please. <laughs> uh, it's, I'm, I'm really <laughs> curious to see what uh, Shazvasti get in, in the upgrades. It'll be really interesting. Mm-hmm. For, the, for the uninitiated, uh, Shazvasti are a, a pet faction of mine that I've always loved. They are space prawns, they're stealthy, and uh, they will murderate you from behind. On that topic, mm-hmm. murderating from behind, uh, we have support. So where your medium and elite infantry are going to be bearing interesting skills, uh, technology, and otherwise floating around that sort of 30-point margin or so, uh, those guys will fill uh, a unique plethora of battlefield roles. What will exist sort of within that category sometimes and outside of it as well is what I would classify as support troops. Um, Your support troop will also potentially be things like an engineer, which is a specialist that can help uh, repair and rearm your remotes, your tag, and other things. But support can also be something a little bit more unusual, like a Moran for nomads. And the Moran is one of my favorite models in the game. Not necessarily the model, it's okay, but it's actually the profile that sticks out. And the support sort of feature that he brings is... Uh, It's a model that can infiltrate up the table, so it can be kind of up to that 24-inch line and have a pretty significant table presence. Because not only is he a specialist with mimetism, so he's harder to shoot and good ballistic skill, um, but he actually brings an equipment called Crazy Koalas. Now, the name might strike you as a little bit ridiculous, 
but listener, heed on. Crazy koalas are amazing because they are defensive tech. Essentially, within eight inches of this Moran, you can deploy these little buddies, and they are bombs that react to people that run or within their range, and they just run towards them and jump on them and explode. So from a defensive tech perspective, locking down the table, board control, whatever you want to call it, they are amazing. And on top of that, they have some further utility and that they're uh, also armed with what's called a repeater, which means not only are they locking the table down with their little bomb buddies and their gun and the fact that they're you know a good trooper on their own uh, that can accomplish mission objectives, but then they've also got the ability to sort of put forth a zone that your friendly hackers can hack through. So if somebody wants to get cute and push that, say, tank bruiser up the table, your Moran that's in full cover behind a building, uh, he he has those bombs that are just sitting there waiting for people to trigger. And the hackers that you have in your army can now get a little bit of an assist and hit that tag or that heavy infantry before they become a problem. So it really is interesting in that they add a lot to your table presence and your defensive lineup and your board control. You've also got support features that are a little bit more unusual, like uh, the Apsara Cyberdancer for Aleph, which isn't a specialist, but can use her skill Jumper Level Z to basically upgrade one of the remotes that you have on the table. So it benefits from her ballistic skill, which is usually significantly better. And it's things like that will allow you to crank up your potential damage output and consistency of your models considerably. So those are the sort of things that I would look at for supporting your army and allowing you to get better mileage. When I hear support, I think back to uh, like the World of Warcraft kind of games where you're having your shaman or whatever, your cleric sitting in the background, uh, giving your characters buffs and protecting them, healing them and whatnot. So you really nailed it on the head when you talk about the engineer, when Mm -hmm. you talk about like say a doctor, uh, when you have your area of effect weapon, like the perimeter weapon, crazy koalas, and there's other ones like mad traps for Yu Chang and whatnot. So it's very important. Mm -hmm. And to go keep going on that uh, idea, like there, there are the hackers again, like I, I even said, like before, I'd want to cast a spell, which is, you know, again, like there, there's space magic, right? So you, you do have, uh, say a repeater out there or uh, a figure that has a repeater on it. So it acts as one. Uh, and it gives you that, again, that eight inch uh, zone of control area of effect where if say that big, nice uh, Kreezaborak size five figure walks in there, heavy infantry hackable, your hacker can take a whack at him without really too much consequence, especially if he's across the board and you have a repeater sitting there. So, you know, that that's a great idea of a support weapon. Mm-hmm. Also in the sort of category for support, generally speaking, uh, I would classify hackers in this category because a lot of what they can do will either be able to upgrade the remotes that you have on the field, those um, sort of drones that are combat capable they can really crank those guys up to 11 by giving them kind of a shooting buff that ignores cover and uh, grants them sort of like a headshot, essentially. It gives them shock. So they're extremely lethal in upgrading your own remotes, uh, but also in running interference against the enemy for stuff like um, 
if somebody tries to put a jump trooper, which is like a jetpack trooper, onto the table, you can, with a hacker, run what's called hack transit aircraft. So basically, as the aircraft is flying overhead, dropping a paratrooper or jetpack trooper off, you can screw with their uh, you know, aeronautical devices uh, for, for navigation and, and kind of disrupt their ability to land in the DZ, which is huge. Because then, you know, if you can, if you can not have to worry about uh, that, that specialized jump trooper landing where it's supposed to, then you're very happy. And so uh, hackers have a lot of utility like that, whether it's to disrupt the enemy plans, to hack an incoming enemy missile, like a guided missile can be contested by your friendly hacker so that you can kind of provide a little bit of protection. Things like that are, I think, really iconic to the abilities that you have on the table with your support Uh, models. I agree. Um, One of the things that's uh, also really interesting is uh, going on on that same idea of being able to protect your troops. Now, a lot of times, if you're taking a light infantry, heavy um, list, like, say, Ariana or Hackslam would probably be a better example, uh, because they can they, they can take quite a few hackers uh, and still take a lot of light infantry that can fill all the roles. And say you're facing off against, say, a uh, combined army or nomads or something else that's very uh, heavy infantry heavy. Invincible Army is a, a great example of that. If you have a lot of hackers and mm-hmm. a lot of uh, repeaters out on the board, that really hinders your opponent. Maybe not if they have a bunch of tin bots mm-hmm. uh, with deflector level two, but they're going to think twice about moving their fire team into range of a repeater because there's a good chance that eventually they're going to fail a roll. Yeah, absolutely. And and one of the, the kind of neat things to kind of make an analogy of is if you guys have ever played or seen Magic the Gathering, there are kind of archetypical colors or styles of magic. And so when you look at Infinity... Uh, we had this discussion uh, coming back from uh, a road trip recently from a tournament, and it was, you know, what's your play style? What's your chosen play style if you were to make an al- analogy or an analog to a different game that you might play? It might be Warhammer, it might be War Machine, it might be a video game or whatever, like Warcraft, uh, World of Warcraft. But in this case, we were talking about the elements of magic. And so support can often take a very distinct flavor and, and add to your list those elements that are most important to emphasize. As an example, hacking, particularly with nomads, is very often, I would say, looking at, say, blue control. So you are counterspell. You are board control, locking down the table, dictating that every action has a reaction and that the reaction has consequences. You could, for example, fire a pitcher, which is kind of like a grenade with a, a Wi-Fi repeater built into it, right? And you fire that downrange to a particularly crucial area of the table. And in so doing, you now have an area where your hackers can all just pile in and hit people as they come through in response to movements. So in the, uh, in the example where that heavy infantry squad might come through, they're going to get hit with a lot of hacking, potentially. And nomads are quite good at that. So they have a good element of control that can shut down the board and prevent your opponent from kind of going through with their plans, playing the mission and killing your stuff. So each of these support models will bring a different kind of special sauce that looks like that, you know, to make the analogy of Magic the Gathering or uh, sort of the, the cast system in, uh, in War, Warcraft Online or whatever. And so an example that might stand out to many is in Toha, 
the chain of command model, whose name eludes me at the moment, he has these two sort of little Kiltar Pokemon specialist. dudes. They can be assigned. Thank you, Kaltar Specialist. It's funny because I actually played Toha or did recently. Those Kaltar Specialists are probably the strongest element of defensive tech you can take in the game because they straight up control the damage that's that's dealt to you, and you can be very careless and aggressive with with giving a model that you that you have as playing Toha. You can put a Pokemon on that guy as long as he has a symbiont armor. And he's already durable enough as it is, but now you can push forward in your in your sort of small link team triad, and consequences be damned. Aside from crits, you can just go balls out and 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 kill something hyper aggressively with a missile launcher, and you can get shot back sixteen times. And anything that hits you, you just cancel with that Pokemon. So it, it's very good for giving you certain strategic advantages when you want to press that, or in defense. So if you've got, say, that uh, that link team of maybe two Sukeo commandos with missile launchers plus something else, put that in arrow uh, up on the table, uh, on the rooftop, and it just locks the table down. And they can't break that because not only are they already durable and they already have mimetism and cover and they already have good range bands and they're in a three-man link team and so forth, then you have to deal with the fact that this guy has defensive tech layered on top of that. And that is really where I think you'll see the gameplay for players who are playing new to infinity. And then they realize that these sort of connections that they can use, you go from a seven or an eight in sort of your strategy there, and you crank that right up to 11. And it's, it's really strong when you've yeah, discovered those. One combos. of the things that we should clarify is we call them Pokemons because that's what they look like. Uh, they're symbiomates and symbiobombs. Uh, symbiomates uh, allow you to do what uh, Christoph was mentioning where it, it takes the wound for, like, it jumps in front and sacrifices itself to the hail of bullets co- uh, coming in. But, yeah, it's Tohar. Tohar, they're, they're, they're a different animal. They're definitely not beginner-friendly, in my opinion. They do take a little bit of finesse to learn how to play. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, but that doesn't mean you shouldn't try. I actually, I actually have a friend locally who's just got into Toha. Uh, it might be his first faction. He's got a couple other ones that he's playing. It is a harder faction to learn uh, in some respects. It's a very, it's a very complex faction, but it rewards you greatly for doing so. And I think that's that's a challenge that should be not turned away from. I mean, it's it's definitely not beginner friendly in some regards, but it's not insurmountable. So go with the rule of cool. If you like the models, rock the models, make it work. You know, they they have they have a lot of fun stuff that that I think will be iconic to a number of different playstyles. Talking about playstyles, there's Another sort of thematic battlefield role that is near and dear to my heart as a Shazvasti player for a long time is the impersonator. The kind of scalpel role is one where you kind of have an assassin or a very particular type of model that might infiltrate, get closer to the enemy line and hit something very precisely and very hard. And then usually shortly thereafter, die ignominiously. Now, uh, what this sort of archetype covers are things like um, elite infiltrators, like the uh, the ninjas of the Japanese sectorial army, like uh, the Oniwaban, Oniwaban character Shinobu Kitsune. Uh, those are very consistent at getting where they need to go, landing in the enemy deployment zone or just outside, and then cutting to ribbons their chosen target. So if you find something important, like uh, a linchpin in the enemy list, or the lieutenant, 
then you can go for that and, and really press home the target with good reliability. Speculokiller, another example, it's an impersonator. So rather than being a camouflage model, it actually appears as a friendly model to the opposing force. So it doesn't trigger things like mines. Uh, they can't shoot at it with flamethrowers or anything like that. They have to discover it twice before they can shoot at it. Uh, and the first time is at minus nope, six, zero. second time. The first, three. the second time is at zero. So impersonators. Oh, second time is at zero. Okay, fair enough. So they're very consistent. And I think that there's mileage may vary if you actually roll to get into the enemy deployment zone. But if you just deploy just outside, uh, oftentimes that's just as well, in my experience. Rita Vanderkam, buddy who uh, who plays Hak Islam, he always takes the role for his assassins, or the, the fides. And these fides are similar in principle. They, they can have the option of deploying in your deployment zone. And that is gross because you suddenly have a fairly reliable assassin that could be right next to your lieutenant, like literally right next to him. <laughs> and so your buttocks might pucker and clench a little bit when you see that. And that's really cool strategy because then you have the ability to kind of force people to deal with these things if they have an opportunity to. Alternatively, if you're going first, then you have the option to uh, prioritize an alpha strike a target out uh, before it becomes a problem. So I really like the scalpel uh, as a feature. And there are a couple of other archetypes that, that, that kind of slot into this role. Uh, one of them I know is near and dear to uh, your heart, John, and that's the Tiger Soldier. Give me some gusto on uh, well, jump troopers and other scalpels. When you were talking about um, going uh, first and having it ruin a game because you get too into killing your opponent, that actually happened to me at the last tournament I was at. It was the first game. He, I was actually playing Hack Slam, and he failed his role for his, uh, his fide. I wasn't too broken up about it, mm-hmm. but uh, he went first. He had a link of uh, some basic gulams. And he had a link with the uh, Asawira and a couple of other things, and he brought him up, which is which was kind of my plan. Like they, I wanted to go second. He brought these guys up. He put them kind of in the middle of the board. Um, I can't remember what which one we were playing. It's uh, the one with the five objectives too close to your like right on your, the edge of your deployment zone. Anyway, he was that? Oh, um, anyway, yeah. So I had two tiger soldiers. Each one was fueled by a mm-hmm. fairly full uh, combat group. So I think one had eight orders to play with. The other one had 10 orders to play with. And I, they made both their roles. They landed in very good positions and they systematically took out his entire army now hack can have a lot of figures and I, i'm not too sure he had like 16 figures but i believe he was down to 25 points by the time i was on my first turn because i landed these like i had one <sighs> uh, tiger soldier with a spitfire one with a combi rifle flamethrower they landed in good spots they landed behind because i waited for his opponent my opponent to go up he had a couple of cheerleaders which included his lieutenant which were off to the side which i dropped the combi rifle tiger soldier next to and i came around flamed a couple of them one guy turned around and shot him the next turn it just annihilated him and then like for he also took out the fide and then my one with the spitfire took out his other fire team save for layla or leah or whatever her name is yeah and he also had a mutt 
left. <laughs> um, but I took out his, uh, and I believe it was the first turn. I took out, yeah, and I took out his Asawira and that sounds filthy. the other guys that were with him. Maybe it was round two, but yeah, it, it was just, I I lost, I think, 25 points or 30 points or something like that. And I, yeah, I just annihilated him and I, and I screwed myself out of a whole bunch of points, which really sucked. So don't get carried away killing things. But these kind of characters are great because, again, like they can get into those key positions behind your opponent. If your opponent doesn't set up where he's looking behind him, you can wreak havoc on his lines. There's what? There's there's an army that has, I think it's Steel Phalanx. One of their jump troopers has super jump. So he can actually land behind and then just jump up and shoot people in the back. It's It's great. Like these, there, there's so much versatility and the tigers are great because they have mimetism. Uh, you put them in cover on suppression behind enemy lines. And that's such a deterrent to the mentality of your opponent, because now he's not just facing you on one front, he's facing you on two. So even if mm-hmm. he, even if it makes no sense for him to go back and try to kill your tiger soldier, but because he's in you, their deployment zone, there's just that mentality of, oh no, I have to take him out. So he'll spend those orders trying to trying to dissuade. Yeah, well, you can't <laughs> no. you can't usually let those things stand because if they've caused that much trouble that time, then then letting them do it again is just insult to injury. But I, I feel you. I mean, that's that's definitely one area where Alpha Strike in Infinity isn't as easy to pull off as it is in some other games. It is a strong facet of of certain strategies and certain lists and and, and armies. And if you can, a jump trooper is an incredible scalpel, uh, particularly in this season where it's not just like the pie plate that you have to sort of drop them in on because of the sort of parachute kind of thing. It's actually, they can, they can drop on a dime top of a rooftop around the corner of a building as precise as you could possibly think. And, uh, and in, in many cases, I feel like with the right support, they can be as consistent and as lethal as impersonators. So it's important to use your scalpel in the right toolbox and, and, and not, commit them too eagerly because it's really easy to screw up with scalpels and waste them. They are fragile typically, and they, they will frequently suffer from misuse. So they are probably the, the highest level of, of skill cap, I would say, uh, in my opinion, in Infinity, is that a well-used scalpel and one that is poorly used are very recognizable. So just you know, take your time in, in learning those tools. If they don't perform immediately, don't write them off. They are incredible. Uh, it just takes finesse. Um, it does take time to learn, again, like these special rules and how to use certain figures properly. What works for one guy may not work for another. Fides, which are the infiltrators where they can go into the enemy zone if you make the right roll and all that. I believe it's a 75% chance. Yeah, sorry. That's that's what I meant. Um, they're... For me, the drop troops are a little bit easier to use just for the fact because if I'm going first uh, and I do put that fide down, my opponent gets to put a, a figure next to it. So I find that I use my drop troops a lot more actively than I do the fide type uh, impersonation models. Now, it's not saying that they're not good. It's just I need more experience with them. And Yeah, fair enough. I'm the opposite. Mm-hmm. I, I got a lot of experience with jump troopers. Absolutely love them. Speculo killer. I love it. I've tried to love it. 
it's one SWC. And then I started playing Hawk recently and I've got Elgebel and I never take the role to get in the enemy DZ because I don't need to, because at the, at, I'm at the edge of the enemy DZ. I don't need to take the risk. I want the consistency and yeah. guarantee that I'm going to land that sucker. Cause somebody like Elgebel smoke grenades and the martial arts level four, uh, or a fide with mines, as Rita pointed out recently when I played them. There's there's some really cool toolbox there that you can get, and you don't necessarily need to take the risk. Whereas jump troopers jumping onto the table are inherently risk driven, and so you're taking that calculated risk. I prefer in my own strategies to be as calculated and as pragmatic as I can with committing my forces. So things like rolling for infiltration or rolling for infiltration or uh, for impersonation or, or even jump troops jumping onto the table, I will most often prefer to walk them on the table edge if I can get an angle. And that's one of, I think one of the playstyle differences that you'll find with scalpels is that they are one of the most polarizing yeah. in how um, you apply do you, Again, like for uh, impersonation models, you do have to be aware of biometric visors uh, and whatnot. Like you can be discovered. You can, people can double discover, even though it only takes down one level of it, but they can make two rolls in one turn. So there are different things that can take away the Fidei. I, if, when I play Fidei, I do prefer to take the anti-personal minds version just because I can mess with your opponent a little bit better. That's just me. Uh, and mm-hmm. there are other types, uh, like uh, Christoph mentioned, there's Kitsune, uh, which is which I would actually prefer over the uh, Fidei just for the fact that she can uh, go basically invisible. You, your opponent doesn't even know she's there. So when you know your that big tough Kreeza Borax walks by, you engage. You know, oh yeah, me too. It's great. Oh, and I've done that a before. Lot they can do right, like, and it, it's just it's a fun tactic. It kind of again, like you might not even have her come out of Tio Camo until your third turn, and then she just wreaks havoc in the back line and. By then it's too late for your opponent and he can't really mount a defense. Uh, and there's a whole bunch. Like for me, I like cheap things on bikes. To me, that's a scalpel as well because you have that speed. Fair enough. Yeah. I can see that. Cause you've got, you've got the ability that, you know, in two right. or three orders, you cover the whole right. distance. And like, the if table, again, like if you have, uh, that's why I like more terrain rather than less, because if that, if you're going second and your fire team's all bunched up behind a building, you have a guy on a bike with a chain rifle. He comes around, chain rifles, your whole, your whole link team. Mm-hmm. My one buddy just started recently running, I think they're Desperados and they're, they're Desperado. Insane. They're, they're, be- they're, they're great models. I don't yeah. know why anybody wouldn't use or great profiles. I should say <laughs> oh, the filthy, filthy things that duelists cycle has done to me in my back line you spend like two or three orders getting up the table which is pretty darn good economy considering it's already impetuous so he gets a free order from being you know rabble and undisciplined and then you get the irregular order so he's just spending his own order so like you know by the time you've done those two things he's already most of the way up the table and provides smoke coverage for his fellows assuming you have others in so doing you then ramble into the back line with your fast motorcycle. And yeah, I, I would concur. I think that he can absolutely, in certain circumstances, be a scalpel. He has to be able to get there. Whereas, you know, the other, you know, the delivery vector for other scalpels is highly variable, but most of them rely on a skill like either smoke, speed, 
jump packs, impersonation, infiltration. Those are the, those are the sort yeah, of the archetypes. One of the things I'm really looking forward to, and it's on my paint desk after I'm finished all my Jing stuff, is eight bikes for Hack Slam. It's going to be glorious. <laughs> you're, you're I'll feel, feel bad. bad just bathing in bikes. It's going to be great. I can't wait. Um, but there's there's other little scalpels out there as well like whatever and again like it's whatever works for you right like something that might not be a scalpel for for us like maybe i i have terrible experience with uh jump troops i never take but somebody else you know you might like bikes and you know like whatever works for you basically whatever can get you there and do the thing and that's super efficient it's it's definitely probably it, <laughs> I, I don't even know what to say it's whatever can get you there again like that's why i like bikes it's really fast that's why you like uh the shijuan it gets you there really fast kills your opponent it's a it's a thorn in their side jump troops uh impersonation infiltration like it's it's all there on their doorstep and they have to deal with it or it's going to kill them yeah so in summary for battlefield roles i think fair to say that in the game of infinity, much like in real warfare, combat is a series of questions and answers. Do you have the right questions you can pose to your opponent that force them to make hard decisions? Do you have the right answers to answer their own questions? Whether those be, you know, particularly hard to root out snipers, troublesome scalpels, or backbreaking support, these battlefield roles and perhaps the structured way that we've talked about them will help you further understand getting into the game and mastering their use through repetition, practice, and a few lucky dice rolls. Uh, with that said, uh, folks, it's been another pleasurable experience in Kibitzen with you. Hope you enjoyed the episode. We'll be back uh, next week for another one, uh, talking a little bit more about how to build an army and uh, how to, sure how to you put have it on the dice table. Spade and neutered. Thanks for listening to the Coordinated Orders podcast, a Infinity podcast dedicated to training and familiarizing new players with the game. 